Well, let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to talk this morning about uh, ministry motives, the motives behind what we do. Of course, God cares about what you do, of course, but he also cares about the why, why you do what you do, not just the what you do, but the motivation behind it. God always cares about that. And we'll talk about uh, motives and the motives for uh, our ministry as well. And I remind you that Paul's been talking here about what he sometimes called super apostles, or he calls here uh, false apostles, people who are not really following the Lord, not doing the right thing, or having the right motivation behind it. So let's read beginning with verse 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The Bible says, Now I consider myself in no way inferior to those super apostles. Even if I am untrained in public speaking, I am certainly not untrained in knowledge. Indeed, we have in every way made that clear to you in everything. Or did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preach the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by taking pay from them to minister to you. When I was present with you and in need, I did not burden anyone since the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. I have kept myself and will keep myself from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I don't love you? God knows I do. But I will continue to do what I am doing in order to deny an opportunity to those who want to be regarded as our equals in what they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no great surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will be according to their works. Well, let's talk about ministry motives, and I'm going to talk about four principles, four things that motivate us, ought to motivate us in our service to the Lord. And if, you're a, if you've got a pen or something, you can write this on the back of the worship guide, or if you're watching online, you can write that down on something. Let's write these four principles down together. Principle number one, be motivated by your worth. Be motivated by your worth. And in verse 5, Paul says, I consider myself in no way inferior to those super apostles. They're not just giving them a compliment. That's how they describe themselves. He calls them false apostles. He tells us that they're leading in deceit. But he's saying there are some, we were introduced a little bit to this concept last week in this chapter, and we'll see it again later in, the, in this book of the Bible, who consider themselves uh, super apostles, superior to Paul or Peter they're greater than anyone who's gone before them. They had that kind of mindset, that kind of a thought process. And unfortunately, they were teaching the wrong things and doing it for the wrong reasons. I mean, it was kind of a double problem. And Paul said, I consider myself in no way inferior to them. Well, you may say, well, of course Paul doesn't feel inferior to them. I mean, Paul's, a, Paul's one of the most famous men in the Bible. I mean, Paul's one of the great Christians. He's the guy who God uses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes a large section of the Bible. He uh, starts churches. He started the church at Corinth. He participated in the works of all kinds of places. He preached the gospel to lost people. He helped evangelize the lost, to start churches, do missionary activity. I mean, what a great, a great theologian, great thinker. You say, of course he's not inferior. I mean, of course. He's got great value. He's got great worth. Can I just remind you of something? Paul needed the salvation offered only in the Lord Jesus 
just as much as you do. Paul was a sinner, maybe not the same sins as you, but just as much a sinner as you and me. Paul needed the grace of God as certainly as any man or woman needs the grace of God. And let's just note a couple of things about this. In Christ, you are just as forgiven as the Apostle Paul. In Christ, you are just as adopted into the family of God as Paul himself was. In Christ and his blood and forgiveness, you're just as important as the Apostle Paul. And can I just point out what should be obvious to us? In Christ, we are just as loved as is Paul. Just as loved. And can I note for you that Paul is not loved because Paul was good and never made a mistake, and so God said, I choose to love you. Paul was a broken sinner living in a broken, fallen, sinful world. This is a broken world. I suppose you're aware of that by now, the brokenness of this world. If you watch the news, you see something of the brokenness of our world, and it's played out in all kinds of ways. We see it in the Ukraine. We see it in our own country. We don't even have to look to someone else's life to see brokenness because we've all sinned against God, and God did not love Paul because Paul had never made a mistake. But in grace, in Christ, Paul was just as loved, and you are just as loved in Christ as is Paul or, your, or any, anyone you might mention as you think of, that's a great Christian. And you're just as valuable in the sight of God. And he loves you just as much. Because your value was never found just in what you do for the Lord. You know, it's not like God needs us. It's that God loves us, cares about us. And you are valuable. God, we're valuable in really in a double sense. We're created in the image of God, and so we have inherent worth just because we're created in the image of God. Sin has broken us. All of us have sinned against God. We're broken by that sin, separated from God. But in salvation, we are forgiven, adopted into God's family, and we have the worth and value of being a child of God just as much as Paul or Moses or any person in the pages of the Bible. And this is, there's a motivation to this, to recognize this, that I'm loved by the Lord. And not just because I can do something for him, but just because he loves me, that he values me. When I was really young in ministry, I heard, I heard this story, and it just, I, I've remembered it forever. I don't know who the people involved were, but there was some older pastor who had some young, um, like, guest preacher in the church, and it was a prominent church and a prominent ministry, whatever church it was, and this was a young guy who was going to speak. And so the old pastor passed a note to the young guest preacher that said this. It said, no mention of inadequacy, Christ is sufficient. No mention of inadequacy, Christ is sufficient. Can I just point out, we are all inadequate to serve the Lord. Paul me, you, all inadequate in our own strength. But Christ is sufficient. He strengthens us, enables us, adopts us, forgives us, loves us. In Christ, our value is beyond what we can imagine. He, he places great value. in. He loves you, values you, 
created you, saves you. And there's a powerful motivation to recognizing your value in Christ. There's a second principle I'd like you to note. Be motivated by the mission. Be motivated by the mission. So Paul says in verse 6, even if I'm untrained in public speaking, now apparently some of the super apostles followed the traditions of the Greek world and had learned rhetoric. I mean, that was a very big, very important part of the Greek culture to be a public speaker. And perhaps many of them were very gifted. They had they were trained in rhetoric. They knew how to speak well. They had trained themselves to be effective in persuasion and communication. And Paul said, even if I'm untrained in public speaking, he didn't have that gift and talent. Which, by the way, he's not saying it doesn't matter, gifts are unimportant. He's saying, this, he's saying gifts are overrated, talents are overrated. He said, I'm certainly not untrained in knowledge. Indeed, we have in every way made that clear to you in everything. Paul's saying a couple of things I want to note for you. He's saying, first, God is not short on talent. It's not like God said, you know, I really need some help here. If I could just get Paul, and man, if he was to you know, get him to be a good public speaker. It's not that. God's not short on talent. There's a big part of us that says in the Western world, boy, we need, God needs some help. If we could put him over the top. Some, if we could see, like, if LeBron would get saved, and, you know, like, he could start preaching and you know, use that talent for the Lord or whatever it is, some famous person, some important person, whoever it is you think of, that, that person's really important. They really matter. If they would just really, you know, trust Christ, God's not short on talent. He's not impressed by our talent. And I'm not ignoring that God gives talents, of course, and abilities, and, and he gives those to us so that we can use them for his glory, of course. But it's not like God's short on talent. I mean, he's not dependent upon LeBron or me or you or anyone else for that matter. And I just want to note for you that talent is overrated. It's overrated. We will often ignore bad behavior in people who are talented. Even in ministry, ignore bad behavior in people who are talented. God doesn't ignore bad behavior. God's not saying, well, listen... You're doing the wrong thing. But no big deal because of your talents. That's not how God looks at it. Talent for us is deeply overrated. It's a gift that God gives to us, and we ought to use it for his glory. We ought to use it well, but notice well that God wants us to know him and make him known. It's the mission that counts. Paul's saying, I may not have the same talent as these guys in public speaking, but man, I know something. I know the Lord, and I make him known. I've made, that, I've made it clear to you in everything. I'm, I know the Lord and make him known. Here's the mission. God wants us to know him and make him known. That's our mission. And we're motivated by that mission. So let's make some application here. What should our missionaries do? You know, perhaps that we have, we support International Mission Board missionaries. There are several thousand missionaries around the world. We have several from our church family who are serving in missions in some, in some very difficult places in our world, scattered around our world from this very congregation. So what is their job? Is their job to go to somewhere far away and impress people by their talents? Is that the goal? No, the, their goal is to, make, is to know God and to make him known. So what about life group teachers? We've got a lot of life group teachers here. They teach adults or teenagers or, ch or children, preschoolers. So our, our, there are our small group Bible studies. So what's the goal? What should be the goal of our life group teachers? Is it to impress people about how great a teacher they are? I mean, is that the goal? Is that what it is? 
just to kind of impress people, look how great that teacher is? Well, no. It's to know God and make him known. So what should be the goal of the pastors here? To have people say, man, wow, look at that. God, guy has got some talents, huh? Or is it to know God and to make him known? And listen, if we do this right, we will not make church about us. We will not make church about us, but about the Lord. And we'll not make it about glorifying ourselves, but about glorifying him. And we will recognize that the mission is what counts. Now, if you've got talents, great. I'm glad God gave them to you for a reason. Use them well. God has gifted you. We have sharp, talented, skilled people. Great. Use them for God's glory. Learn all that you can to glorify ways to glorify the Lord well. Be the best. If God's made you a life group teacher, be the best teacher that you can be. But I want you to focus on the mission. Don't forget that it's never been about you or me or Paul or anyone else, but about glorifying the Lord, and we want to know him and make him known. And that's the motive for what we do. We're motivated by the mission. Number three, we're motivated by real love. By real love. We're motivated by real love. And I want you to go, please, to verse 7. We'll see something about the motivation of love here in verse 7. Paul says, did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Let me just stop there in the middle of verse 7. Paul talks here again about humility, humbling himself in order to bring blessing to the church at Corinth. He's saying to them, love thinks of others over self. Love thinks of others over self. Paul's saying, I humbled myself so that you could see the exaltation of the Lord himself, the glory that comes with knowing the Lord. I sacrificed, I thought of you instead of myself, and I did this because I loved you. Maybe you have parents who are like that. Maybe you had a mom, maybe, I know some of you maybe didn't have a mom that loved you at all, and I'm sorry for you, and there's some pain involved with that, and even if you had a good mother, she was an imperfect person, of course, but maybe you had a mother who did some things that remind you of this. Maybe your mother, um, late at night, when you would get sick, in the middle of the night, your mother would get up from her bed and come take care of you and nurse you back to health and clean up after your messes and help you along the way and hug you when you were scared and love you when you were lonely. And just, she would sacrifice for you. I mean, she, she wanted to sleep, right? But she sacrificed for you. She was tired. She had other needs, but she thought of you. What a, that's what love does. That's what love does. That's what love does in any relationship. Love is thinking of others and not just themselves. Love is willing to sacrifice. And Paul's saying, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to humble myself, which, by the way, I note to you again that word humble. The, the Bible tells us often, talks to us often about humbling ourselves. We should note this. And he was doing it for the purpose of benefiting the church at Corinth because he loved them and he cared about them. Notice as well that love promotes the gospel over self-benefit. So here's what Paul says in verse 7. That I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preach the gospel of God to you free of charge. Was that wrong with me, he said? That I thought of you and not myself? He said in verse 8, I robbed other churches by taking pay from them to minister to you. You didn't pay. I, I, I just gave myself full, fully to this ministry and other churches provided, not you. The Bible says the worker is worthy of his wages. But instead of taking from you, I just gave. He says in verse 9, When I was present with you and in need, I did not burden anyone since the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. 
I, I have kept myself and will keep myself from burdening you in any way. Paul's saying, listen, I just thought of you, and I was trying to think of how I could benefit you, even though I, you, I could have legitimately said to you, you ought to be taking care of my needs. You ought to, the worker is worthy of his wages. You ought to be taking care of my needs. But instead, other churches did so that I could just give and not get, so that I could just bless you and not burden you. Man, that's not always how we think about it, because sometimes we think about what's in it for me. One of my, one of my uh, favorite movies is a, it's an old movie called Field of Dreams. If any of you have seen an old baseball movie, I hope it's going to be baseball again sometime. And this old Field of Dreams movie is a baseball movie. The only thing I don't like about it is I always, at the end of the movie, I always get something in my eye. My eyes water profusely. It's just terrible. It's embarrassing when that happens. But So the movie kind of has a, this guy Ray builds a baseball field in Iowa and Shoeless Joe Jackson and others come from the past and play there. You'll just have to watch it to understand that. And there's this dialogue part where Ray, who was sacrificed in so many ways, turned farmland into a baseball field, etc., is talking to Shoeless Joe Jackson, this old baseball player. And Ray says, somewhere along the way, he says to Shoeless Joe, he said, I've done all these things. Everything that was asked of me, I've done, he said. And never once, he said, never once did I ask what's in it for me. And Shoeless Joe said to him, Ray, what are you saying? And Ray said, I'm saying, what's in it for me? And Shoeless Joe said, is that why you did it? For you, Ray? And eventually Ray would see there was something in it for him. There was something in it for him. And can I just tell you, in ministry, there's something in it for you. I get that. Heaven is a pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. The blessings that come with blessing, man, it's a big deal. The joy that comes with service. But if your motivation is what's in it for me, the wrong motivation. I mean, join the club. There's a long list of people who name the name of Christ who really live their Christian life. What's in it for me? Worship's about them. Service is about them. Life is about them. Long list. But Paul's saying, man, I didn't make it about me. This is Paul. Paul said, I didn't make it about me. What I could get, what I could have, what I could gain. But I said, because of my love for you, I said, I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to get. Listen, you'll never, you'll never enjoy sacrifice and giving if, you, if the motivation is something other than love. And then notice that love is the motive of service. In verse 10, Paul says, as the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting mind will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I don't love you? God knows I do. He said, everything I've been doing is for you because I love you. He said, I've tried to preach because I love you. I've tried to serve because I love you. I've tried to sacrifice because I love you. And love is the great motivation of service. Let me just mention the difference of short-term motivation and long-term motivation. Short-term motivation for service goes something like this. Maybe it's about needs. And because we need something, you say, okay, I'll serve. And I'll just tell you something. We all, it's a little secret we have here. We always have needs here. We always have needs. We always need vacation Bible school workers always do. Have a big vacation Bible school. 
love that. We'll always have need for people to teach vacation Bible school. It'll never go away. We'll always need AV tech, uh, technicians. Always, always, we always need that. We always need preschool teachers. We we'll always need that. And I don't ignore the needs. God uses needs to help us to see the opportunities. Or short-term motivation could be guilt. Maybe I could make you feel guilty because you're not serving. So I could say, hey, you've not, you're not been working in vacation Bible school, and you ought to feel guilty about that. And because you haven't, maybe you would serve for vacation Bible school short-term. Or maybe you'd be a AV uh, technician or teach a preschool class if I made you feel guilty enough. And, of course, there's real guilt. God gives us gifts for a reason. We're to use them for, his, for a reason. Or maybe it's for glory. You could uh, say, listen, I'll serve if, um, I mean, because vacation Bible school kids love their teachers and they'll probably thank me or AV technician will be really, you know, look good on my resume or people will say, what a great talent I am or preschool, preschool parents will appreciate what I do and maybe you'll serve short term until someone forgets to say thank you or until the guilt wears off or until um, nobody's saying anything to you about needs. Those are all short-term motivations. Not bad motivations necessarily, just short-term. But the long-term motivation won't be just that we have a need or it won't be just because you feel guilty when you don't or it won't be just because you want somebody to say thank you, but the long-term motivation is love. And when you serve because you love God and love others, we won't be able to stop you from serving. We won't be able to keep you from using your gifts and talents for God's glory. We won't be able to, you, won't, you will want to find ways to use the gifts God has given you to honor his name because you love him and to bless others because you love them. And that's the motivation for service. Listen, I've seen a lot of people along the way who serve for a while and they have some sort of short-term motivation, guilt or needs or, or something, the need for recognition, whatever it might be. But when we serve out of love, that's the one that stands the test of time. Even when no one says thank you, and even when difficult times happen in ministry, and they will. Not everyone will always appreciate all of the talents and gifts you have. Not everyone will always appreciate all that you do for God's glory. In fact, some of the tasks God has, has for us are so behind the scenes, no one hardly notices at all. But when you do it for the love of God and for his glory and because you love others, there's a power to that. And I want you to be motivated by real love. Principle number four, be motivated by the truth. Now, verse 12 and following talk to us about this importance of following the truth and how there are people in the church at Corinth who are not living by the truth and not following the truth. Let's note a few things about this. Note first that it's truth over deceit. In verse 12, Paul says, I will continue to do what I'm doing in order to deny an opportunity for those who want to be regarded as our equals and what they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers. Notice the strong language here. False apostles and deceitful workers. And they're deceiving the church at Corinth. This will always be a danger in Christendom. It will always be a danger in the church that people will want to deceive instead of following the truth. Now, the Bible is God's word for us to teach us the truth. And so we say in our church we want to be Bible-based. I just note a couple of things that we're not saying. We don't say we want to be culture-based. Now, we live in a culture, of course. We can't ignore the fact that we live in a culture. And the culture affects us and has a tendency to influence us. But I want to just make you aware of this thing that ought to be kind of obvious. If you'll just note this, culture is always changing. 
So in my lifetime, I've lived long enough to see what used to be considered right, wrong, and what used to be considered wrong, right. And that's going to change over and over. So whatever the standards are today, and sometimes my head gets a little dizzy trying to keep up with what the changes are, what we're supposed to do or not do or be or not be or say or not say, it's always changing in society. The culture's always changing its ideas about what's good or bad or right or wrong, or if even there is such a thing as right or wrong. And so that's constantly changing. And so we don't, we don't say we want to be culture-based. Every, every culture is just a sort of a list of how we think and what we do and what influences us. In fact, the Bible says, the Lord tells us to be, not to be conformed to this world, but be, to be transformed, to think differently than our world. Or we, or we might say we're uh, feelings-based. Feelings, I mean, you know, your feelings can be affected by lots of things. If you ate spicy food last night, you might have feelings that are different than if you didn't. Feelings affect all kinds of things in life. But feelings come and go. They aren't the basis of truth. You may feel something and still be wrong. You can feel right about the right things and wrong about the right things and everything in between. It's not opinions. We're not opinion-based. And can I tell you, you need something better than the opinions of Pastor Doug. So we say we want to be Bible-based. What if God cared so deeply about the truth that he gave us a book wherein he told us what is right and wrong and good and bad and helpful and unhelpful and what we should build on and what we should avoid? What if God did something like that and called it the Bible and allowed us to read it for ourselves and not just to take the opinion of someone else? And what if God encouraged us to know the truth that sets us free and gave us the word so that we could see what he says and not just what the culture says and not just what our feelings are at the moment or what our opinions are? What if God just, just told us the truth because he cared so deeply about the truth, even though he knew that would not always be popular and sometimes people would change what they thought were right or wrong and sometimes people would feel differently and people might have different opinions but what if God cared so deeply about the truth that he gave us the truth because he knew the power of it? And so God wants us to have truth over deceit. And Paul's saying to the church of Corinth, I want you to know the truth and watch out for the danger of deceit. And you test everything that's said by the word of God himself. And notice, notice that it's truth over disguise. Paul says in verse 13, such people are false apostles, apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so it's no great surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of, of righteousness. He's saying these super apostles appear to be right. I mean, they look great on the outside, but they're, they're dis, it's a disguise, and they're not telling the truth. And I don't know why you people don't watch um, animal document, documentaries like I do. I mean, I, I just can't understand why people don't find it as fascinating as I do. But when I'm watching animal documentaries, every once in a while I come across an animal like a chameleon. What a fascinating animal this is. A chameleon can take on the coloration of like the leaves and plants and such behind it. It's amazing. And they will take that coloration because they can get closer to the prey. And they, they have, this is the kind of thing you learn when you're watching documentaries. You're, you'll be impressed by this. They have a super long tongue, way longer than the body. Did you know this? And they can shoot that tongue out just in a, I mean, un unbelievably quickly. You have to see it with like time-lapse 
photography to see how quick it is. And they shoot that long tongue out, and it's sticky on the end, and they'll hit some insect, some unsuspecting insect, and, and it'll hit it, and it'll just pull it right into its mouth, and it's gone. So the chameleon disguises itself in order to prey on an insect. And the enemy disguises himself, and he looks good on the outside. You know, some of Satan's best work is not just to have the look of the pitchfork and the horns and such as that. I mean, sometimes just to look really great on the outside and disguise, but he's always praying in the EY, not the AY type. I mean, he's, he wants to kill and steal and destroy. And Paul's just making this warning, man, stand on the truth because there's always an enemy who wants to destroy you. And then notice that it's truth over destiny. Paul says their end, the end of verse 15 says, their end will be according to their works. Paul's saying your path is leading somewhere. And if you get on the wrong path, the path of culture or feelings or opinion or popularity, whatever it might be, it's leading somewhere. But it's not necessarily leading to the truth. And Paul's saying, I want you to lead, I want you to lead to the truth. I want you to build on a solid foundation, and that's truth. Build on that foundation because that building is going to have to stand some storms. Follow the path of truth. Not just the most popular path. Sometimes, that's, sometimes that path is a little bit less trodden. I mean, it's not always as downhill and smooth and easy. Sometimes it's more difficult to follow the path of truth. But Paul's saying follow that path that leads somewhere. And it's leading to what your soul is longing for and what God has for you. And make that the motivation of your service because you are valuable before God, because God has given you a mission to know him and to make him known, because you love God and because you love others and be motivated to build on the truth, and God will use and bless that. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Let's think for a moment about motivation. Some of you know Christ as Savior, and you, have, and you want to do the right thing, and God loves for you to do the right thing. I talk often about doing the right thing, but the Lord's speaking to your heart about doing it for the right reasons as well. And maybe the Lord is reminding you of how valuable you are. You thought, I can never be, I can never do anything great for God. Man, God loves you. If you know Christ as Savior, can you, God adopted you into his family. He loves you. And your worth is so great. Would you serve out of that motivation? And you have a mission to know God and make him known. God wants to use you to make a difference. You may say, I don't have the kind of skills and talents and abilities someone else has. God knows the limitations and the opportunities of your own skills and abilities. And he calls you to know him and make him known. He wants you to be motivated by love, not just the needs or the guilt when you don't do what you should or even the thank yous that often come with serving him, but to make the real motivation love for God and others and to be motivated by that truth, to build on the solid foundation of truth, to love what God loves, to build on that truth, to follow God's path. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. I am grateful that you will tell us these truths, that you will call us to the right motivations. And Lord, I pray you'll help us to follow you because we know who you are and what you've done for us, to love you because you've loved us, to serve you out of that love, to get our motivations right, not just our actions, that we want to do the right things, but also to do it for the right reasons. Lord, I pray you'll draw people who need you as Savior to 
to you, to the cross, to the gospel message that can set them free. And I pray they will repent of their sins and place their faith in Christ. I pray for many Christians who will take another step forward today to say yes to you and to follow you and live for you and serve you well. Some who just needed that reminder to do the right things for the right reasons. Lord, will you use that in our lives so that your name is glorified? And we thank you. You love us so deeply. We thank you. We can, we can know you and make you known. Help us to do that well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.